This is the Candeo Equipping Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Candeo Equipping Podcast. And what we have in this episode is the first class session of a new class that we just started on March 24th called the Biblical Teaching Lab. And the purpose of this class is to help equip our people to understand how to study their Bible and then how to turn around and communicate that to other people in whatever context that God has them in, whether that's a large group setting or a medium group kind of classroom setting or even a small group kind of connection group setting. Uh, Any setting that we are looking at the Bible and then communicating what the Bible says and what it means and how to apply it to our life. We want to help equip our people to know how to do that well, to, to know how to teach the Bible well, to understand the Bible, and to interpret it well. And we really believe that God uh, has, and it's not just because we believe it, it's because the Bible says it, right? In, uh, in Ephesians 4 and in other places, God has equipped his church with spiritual gifts. And one of those gifts is teaching. And that's not just a gift given to men, it's given to women as well. And what I'm so encouraged about the Biblical Teaching Lab is that we have about about two-thirds of the class is women. And I think that's awesome because God has gifted our church, Candeo Church, with uh, spiritual gifts. And one of those gifts is teaching. And we want to be able to to kind of mine that out and, and, and really find uh, who might uh, have a gift of teaching in our context. And, and we want to be able to uh, to encourage that, to train people who might be particularly gifted in that way, and then find contexts that are appropriate um, uh, to uh, their level of teaching to be able to express that gift in a way that's helpful for the church. God has given his body gifts for the purpose of building up his church. And so what this class is designed to do is really it's a six-week class uh, and it's it's a flyover. It, it almost does injustice to the subject to have it be such a short uh, amount of time, just six weeks. But basically what we're doing is we're taking a really... Uh, introductory level hermeneutics class, hermeneutics, which is uh, how to study your Bible. We're taking a really introductory 16-week hermeneutics class and a really introductory 16-week homiletics class that, that is preaching, basically, a preaching class. If you went to a seminary, it would be called a homiletics class. Uh, 16-week hermeneutics and 16-week homiletics class, and we've basically taken that and scrunched it into six weeks. And so we're spending the first three weeks of the Biblical Teaching Lab looking at observation, interpretation, and application, how we can study our Bibles well and understand what it means. And then the last three weeks, we're looking at how to craft a, a sermon, how to craft a message, how to organize our thoughts in, uh, in a way that makes sense and how to communicate it in a way that actually makes people you know, want to listen and hear what you have to say and hear what the Bible has to say and how we can apply that to our lives. And so uh, what you're going to be jumping into here is, uh, is the first you know, probably 10 minutes of the biblical teaching lab we spent uh, looking at and making observations about uh, about rainbow trout. I gave each teaching group, we've got three groups, I gave each of them a rainbow trout. And we took time and spent about 15 minutes making observations about this trout. And you're going to hear why we did this exercise and, and how it applies to how we should begin to understand how to best study our Bible. So I hope you enjoyed this class session and the sessions to come in the biblical teaching lab. All right. All right. Where are we at? Where are we at? Group A is tallying it up. 
60. Let me guess, 61. Wow. Okay. 48. 60, 73, 48. Okay. So if you could, if you could bring your fish, have a delegate from Iceland to bring your fish right up here. And yeah, grab the Clorox stuff. I got these things as well. We can pass this around. You want to pass that around? No, I'll throw it on the ice. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> there we go. Whoever needs that. Anyone need like Clorox wipes? You did well. Thank you, Emily. That was really generous of you. Okay. So 73, right? 73 observations. All right. So those are from High V, right? And you can just walk up to the like seafood counter, and they're just sitting there on ice. And so I grabbed three of them, and here they are. Now. If you had just walked by the fish in the thing, the glass thing, there's no way, and glanced at it, there's no way you're getting 73 things, right? If I stopped you in the next aisle, it was like, hey, tell me about those trout. You'd be like, what trout? And that's kind of the point, because it, if you did the reading b uh, before this class, we looked at uh, sentences, paragraphs, like how, how to read the Bible. And we have to, hey, check this out. Oh, I felt really good about this, all right? So we have to learn to observe, okay? And the real key for that is that we have to first learn to see what is there before, before we move on to understand what it means, okay? We have to first learn to see what is there before we, before we move on to understanding what it means. Because if we don't see what's actually there, then we're just gonna walk by the case, make a glance, and then we'll end up like making our own inferences, kind of our own guesses, like Here, here's what I think it means, or here's what this means to me, or whatever. And I think we've been maybe in connection groups like that, right? Where you're looking at a text, and it's like, okay, uh, what, what, what about this? And the first thing is like, it's like, well, well, what this means to me is this. And somebody else, well, what this means to me is this, or I feel like it means this, or I feel like this. It's, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't really care what it means to you. I don't really care how you feel about it. Like, I want to know what it actually says, right? And then move on to what it actually means. And, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm not trying to, like, uh, be too sassy. If you get to know me, you'll know it's really, like, it's really easy for me to get sassy on stuff. But, um, and maybe this is just between you and us and whoever listens to the podcast. Uh, like the whole soap thing, like scripture, observation, application, prayer, has a massive problem with it. Massive problem. And again, if it's been helpful for you, awesome. But I, I hope to expand our vocabulary a little bit. And I hope to expand our understanding of the Bible a little bit when it's like, you can't just go straight from observation to application, 
right? Like this week we're talking about observation and, and next week we'll talk about interpretation. But the thing is like, yeah, you have to take the time. I mean, how many of us have looked at just one verse and spent as much time as we just spent looking at a rainbow trout to try to figure out just, just straight up what's actually there. I mean, some of your observations were just base level. Like it's a fish, it has two eyes. Like, and some of them were more in depth. Like, you're using your measuring app on your phone, and it's like, okay, it's this long, and that means that it's this age, and all this stuff. Like, all of those are necessary to actually begin to see what's actually there. Like, no observation as you're like looking at a text is a dumb observation, right? Like, and that took me a while. When I, I remember, uh, I went to Moody, and for our hermeneutics class, uh, the professor gave us one verse and said, make 30 observations about this one verse. And I was like, there aren't even 30 words in this verse. Let a, how in the world am I going to find that? And I remember sitting in the library uh, down uh, underneath, like it was down in an underground, and sitting there for hours just staring at this one verse and just like mining it out, mining it out prepositions, conjunctions, like how do these things connect? And asking questions too, like a question can be an observation. Like you'll, it's something you'll want to answer later. And like if it, it, when, when I'm preparing for a, uh, for a message on Sunday, you'll see a lot of times in my notes, when you grabbed them, this is how I study. Like it's like triple space. It's got wide margins because I want to be able to draw lines and all this stuff. And you'll see a ton of question marks all over the place because like, I don't know what that means. What does that word actually mean? Like, is it translated the same in different translations? All these kinds of things. Like, we have to first learn to see what is there before we can go to understanding uh, what it means. And so the reason why I bring up the SOAP thing, right, is because uh, that kind of acronym, though it can be helpful, I think, for beginning uh, readers of the Bible, if, if we never move on from it, we'll never actually understand what it means because we'll just go straight from observation to application. And what that is, that jump from observation to application, is something called the blind adherence problem. I'll go past this here. And, and here's what the blind adherence problem does is that it goes straight from the text and brings it right to us and contextualizes it right to our day. Contextualization in teaching simply means communicating in ways that are understandable and appropriate to the listener's cultural context. So taking what is said and making it understandable for whatever like the present cultural context is. That's, that's really vaguely and roughly what contextualization is. But... You approach a text, and you immediately try to figure out, how can I contextualize this to my day, right? And when we do that, what we miss is that the Bible wasn't written in our day. Like, the Bible is written in its own cultural context to its own specific group of people at its own time and place with its own, like, political implications, right? Like, like if, if people 100 years from now um, listened in on a phone conversation between Sarah and I, and they just like straight tried, tried to apply to their context, they would have no idea like, like what the political climate is right now. They would just assume that like their political climate is our political climate. So they'll, they'll interpret what we're saying in the same way. And a lot of times when we do that with the Bible, we begin to like overlay our own um, presuppositions, our own culture on top of the Bible and begin to understand the Bible in ways that the original audience would have never understood the text. And so this blind adherence problem um, generally uh, manifests itself or, or alters our study and our understanding of the text in three ways. There's more ways than this, but there's, 
These are just generally three, okay? Um, yeah, moves directly from reading to life application without considering the original meaning. Three ways. So impressionistic teaching. This is one way that if we just look at the text and automatically try to, try to apply it to our cultural context, we can fall into this kind of, uh, this kind of teaching. And here's what I mean. Uh, impressionistic teaching, if you've taken, I don't know if you've taken like an like a art history class or whatever, I don't know. Um, impressionism, if you remember from your class, if you did or didn't take it, uh, essentially came from when uh, Monet and Renoir, I had to look up how to say that, these two painters, right, like as they were painting, they, they preferred to paint in more colorful, vivid um, kind of styles, that were a little bit more of, 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 the, of an interpretation of the modern context, which was very different from the kind of painting at, at their day. Like the painting there was more precise, more historical. So you got these two guys who prefer to use different colors and prefer to paint things like actually today, and they couldn't get into any like art expositions. Like they couldn't submit their painting uh, to these things because nobody, like the people in charge didn't like it. Right, so they eventually stopped submitting it, and they kind of like went off on their own and kind of formed their own style of painting and got a lot of followers behind them, and it turned into Impressionism painting. Essentially what happened was uh, Renoir began to experiment uh, with augmenting reality in paintings, and then Monet, he used broader brush struck, uh, strokes. Like, like the, the picture behind this thing is actually a Monet painting. And you can kind of see what's going on here. It's like he's using broad strokes. It's kind of like an approximation of what maybe somebody would see, right? And you can kind of get the gist, but it's not precise in any way. And so these two guys kind of created this, this kind of new, kind of uh, less precise, more impressionistic, more loose forms. Like it takes what the eye sees, it interprets it, and then it, it exaggerates some parts of it and totally ignores other parts of it. Or like there's certain parts of this picture uh, you can see a little bit more on this side. Like, okay, there's the moon or the sun. I don't know which one. It's something in the sky. There's boats on a lake. And then is that a stream going to a city or are those just sticks? I don't really know. Like certain things are a little bit more precise. Other things are kind of like lost into interpretation. And some teaching can do this. Some teaching can take certain parts of scripture, like can only focus on certain parts, neglect other parts, and can then like exaggerate the part that they've taken to, to, a, to a level where it's like, that's not actually what the text is saying at all. It's just kind of like your, your impression of it, right? And one of the ways um, that, that this can happen uh, well, here we go. It, it ignores the historical, cultural, literary, and contextual contours of the text, right? Like I said at the beginning, it goes straight from text to what's my impression of the application today, and it totally ignores that in-between part that we need to understand in order to really understand our text. So one of the ways that, one of the ways that this can happen, um, like in uh, parents, there's a few in here. Uh, maybe you've done this. I've certainly done this. Uh, taking James 1.19, right? Do you, you know what James 1.19 says? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I can't count the number of times I would say that to Naomi 
when she was like wanting to argue with me about something or like whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, or she'd be getting angry. It's like, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And what I did was I took that verse, I sucked it out of its context and I used it for my particular application in, in managing the attitude of my unregenerate child. When, if you put that verse back into James 1, let's back up. Uh, I'll just read this to you. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So this is written to believers, not unbelieving children. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And here's verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, there it is again. There's repetition. We want to observe that and note that. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And then James goes on to talk about Christian living. So this quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry came just after him talking about us being birthed through the word of truth. So the word of truth has something to do with what we should be listening to. Be quick, be quickly listening to, slow to speak back to, and slow to become angry in as we live out the Christian life in the way that James talks about. Now what I did was I took it out of its context and I threw it at my three-year-old in really well-meaning ways, Right? But it was, it was just to address an attitude problem of an unregenerate three-year-old. Like, I took my impression of the text. Like, I think that I, it's my impression that this, that this would just be broadly applied to every attitude possible. I took that, I threw it at her. That's one way that impressionistic teaching can come across. And so, what we need to do is to not let possible applications overshadow the primary point of the text. Don't let possible application, like that is, that is a possible application of that text that I could say that to children who are disobeying. But don't let possible applications overshadow the primary point of the text and its, and its place within the writing as a whole. Okay, so as we talk about making observations, what we also need to do is as you're diving down into the text that you have, uh, I don't, I don't know that anybody's text that you were given. Um, yeah. All of the texts for each group have verses before it and verses after it. And that matters as we make observations, right? Like you'll see this Sunday, um, we're going to be going, uh, I'll be teaching Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, right? Now to understand Hebrews 4, uh, 1 through 11, verse 19 of chapter 3 is absolutely essential to understanding what in the world the author is talking about in chapter 4, 1 through 11, right? But if I would just focus in on my text, be like, I just have to focus on this text, I'm just observing this text, I could totally miss what in the world this is talking about if I don't look before it, if I don't look after it. Now, you may not do the same in-depth study for the, you know, for the text before and after it, but you at least need to read it also within its context, right? As you make observations, sometimes those question marks that you'll write next to your text, like those could be answered by text before it or after it, or honestly, like at some point later on in the book, 
right? And so even like sitting down and just reading the book as a whole and getting a flyover view can help us as we then like parachute in and understand the individual texts that we're in. So any questions on that? Okay, here we go. Instead, we must bring out of scripture what is there. This next one is my favorite one, mainly because of the picture. So inebriated teaching, all right? I, I spent a long time finding a picture for this, so I hope you appreciate it. Um, this was actually on like, a, like a, a British postcard from the 50s. I would have loved to have gotten that card. So inebriated teaching, okay. It, it, you, you, we may not have to spend a whole lot of time on this. Andrew Lang, uh, this is kind of an adaptation of a quote Andrew Lang said. Um, Some preachers use the Bible the way a drunk uses a lamppost, more for support than for illumination. And what that means is that some people like already kind of have what they want to say and already kind of have their thought on kind of the basic topic that maybe a text is is or maybe isn't talking about. But what you do is you, you just take the text, and usually, a lot of times this happens when, when people try to rush their preparation. Like, like when you're crunched for time, especially, and this is so dangerous, especially if, if you're a little bit, have a little bit more of like, like a charismatic personality, like you're already kind of a natural communicator, people already like you. You can hold a crowd just by your own personality. You know, so it's really easy to turn into this, to turn into the drunk, you know, kind of leaning on the lamppost where it's kind of like you read a text and then you kind of lean on it um, and then you just kind of say the, the stuff you're probably already going to say anyway, right? But what we need to do is we, we can't lean against the text that we have. We have to stand under its authority. We don't lean against, but instead stand under the authority of the text. And Charles Simeon, again, had a great quote here. I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage I'm expounding. To never speak more or less than the mind of the Spirit in the passage that he's expounding. Like, don't say more than what the text actually says. And also don't say less. Like, to say more, you're, you're a drunk on a lamppost. To say less, at times, could probably mean you're a coward. Because sometimes the Bible will say something where it's like, there are passages where it's like, I'd rather say less. I'd rather not get into this, right? It's like, no, I'm, I'm obligated by the word of God. We are. If we're gonna stand up and say anything of value, like we are obligated to stand under the authority of the text that we're teaching, right? So don't say more, don't say less. Now, one, and this is kind of uh, throwing this in the discernment category for you um, as you listen to teachers and stuff like that. One way you can tell whether someone is doing this uh, is look at, at, how, at how often they push you back into the text. Like as they're teaching, like, Look at how often they have you look back into your Bible to see where they're getting what they're saying, okay? Like, if, if, you, if you end up, like, just reading the text, 
and then the message is given and you have no idea how what they said came from the text, it might be that you're listening to an inebriated preacher, like figuratively inebriated, hopefully, right? So like have discernment there, one, for the teaching that you're listening to, okay? And this doesn't give us like license to be buttheads about it, you know? So like if we hear teaching like this, like it's not your job necessarily to go and like lambast them about it or whatever, but it is like, okay, I need to discern what is opinion and what is God's revealed truth, Right? Because if they're, if they're not proving to me from the Bible like how they're getting what they're saying and where the application is actually coming from, then I at least need to uh, take a step back from what they're saying and like, think very objectively about it okay? and not just accept it as, as God's truth because they happen to be on a stage and they happen to have read the passage at one point during the message. Right? So we need to have discernment in that. All right, the last kind... Uh, of t- now, this is all under the umbrella of the blind adherence problem, okay? And this is why these first three weeks, we're talking about observation, interpretation, application, because, we, because that is a necessary process. If we're gonna teach the Bible, we need to see what is there before we understand what it means. And then the, that interpretation part next week is a really big deal, okay? Because we have to actually know what the text is saying and what it means. Otherwise, we can't stand under its authority, um, but yeah, so this is all under the, the umbrella of blind adherence, just straight from text to application. Uh, the next one is inspired teaching. And notice how that's in quotes. Inspired teaching. And this is the kind of teaching that whatever moves your spirit in private must be what the Holy Spirit wants to be taught in public. And here's generally how, uh, how this, uh, this method of study goes, okay? So first you read, read the text, and then you meditate, and then you pray, and then you contemplate. Now notice what is lacking from that method of study. What happens, what, it, what is still happening is that you just read the text, And then you just kind of stay in your own head. Like, you're only thinking about what you think about it, right? And you, you add some prayer in there, because it's, it's good, like, it's right to pray through, like, to pray before we study, to pray while we study, and to pray after we study. Like, that is a right thing. But notice, like, this kind of, like, inspired form of, you know, approaching the Bible and study, it's just like, well, it's just me and the Bible, and all I need is the Bible, and the only thing I need is like sol- sola scripture, right? Like, like scripture alone. No, and, and I think I think Mark, maybe you said this uh, in one of your things. Uh, mo- most heresies are always birthed out of uh, a view of only. Uh, Yeah, if you, base on, if you base your theology only on the Bible, no, just hang in here. Uh, every heretic in, throughout history has done that, right? Like, pretty much all heresies you can find uh, will give their reasons from the Bible. Now, there'll be gross misinterpretations of it, right? But they'll just sit down, read the Bible, and just think about it in their head and kind of spiritualize it and, in such a way that, it, that it, it, it equates their own spiritual 
like their own spirit, their own feeling towards the text to the Holy Spirit. Like, well, if I feel this way about the text, then that, that, then that must be what the Holy Spirit inspired that text to mean because it's making me feel this way and I'm praying while I'm doing it, right? So the feeling along with prayer so it must be a validation from the Holy Spirit that this is exactly what it is, okay? Now, and what, what this ends up being is this is like impressionistic teaching, but it's dressed up in piety. That's really all that it is. It's impressionism in like clergy robes, right? Because how in the world can you question that? Like how in the world? It's like, like no, that seems really off. Like that, that's not how... That's not how the church has understood that for like a couple thousand years. Like that, that seems to be a, a different thing, right? It's like, well, but, but God, God laid this on my heart. Like, like this is what God, like I, re- I read it, I prayed, and this is what the spirit impressed on my heart. It's like, how in the world can you argue with that? Well, if, the, if it's the Holy Spirit, I can't question it. It's like, no, you, you can because somebody's subjective feelings, even however much you spiritualize it, still has to stand under the authoritative word of God as a whole, right? Like, can't just be, like, sucked out of its context and used in a particular way, but as a whole, taken within the scope of Scripture, okay? So, once again, learn to observe, all right? Uh, this, these three methods uh, is basically the why behind we're spending and you're reading what you are about observation, interpretation, application, and why it goes in that order, right? Because we need to spend time with the text. This was so good. Like, we, you, will, you will never outgrow this, okay? Like, this was a good reminder for me, even, even in thinking through, like, teaching on Sunday, the, this coming Sunday, where it's like, mine out the, the details of the text, like write out the observations and spend time, spend time and continue to exhaust it. When you think you're done finding observations, like force yourself to find 20 more. Like they'll be there, okay? Like I've never gotten to the end of, of studying a passage and, uh, and been like, well, I don't, I don't really know what else I'm gonna say about this. Like as you study scripture, you'll find one, when you get to the end of your prep, you're like, there's, there's too much there. There's too much to be said about these three verses in 35 minutes. Like, I've got to be cutting stuff back because, like, the more you spend with the word of God, it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And you continue to understand as long as you're spending time going through the process. And observation is a key, key process. Like, you, you will undercut yourself in dramatic ways if you don't take the time to write down the most simple observations, like, uh, like this, this passage starts with four. That's huge. Like it starts with like, why? Why does it start with four? Look back. Why, is this con- why, why does it say and and not but? Like ask those like of individual words and then zoom out to the paragraphs, stuff like that. So again, we must first learn to see what's there before we move on to understanding what it means. And then I just went and this is in your reading. So don't feel like you got to write all this down. I just went through and just wrote down all of the things to be looking for. Repetition, contrast, comparisons, list, cause and effect, all that stuff. Like there's a lot of considerations to take when you're observing a text and you're just sitting down with it and you're mining out what's there. Like 
it and use, use what you've got in your reading as a guide to help you. And I would even encourage you like, to just go straight bullet point through it. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just looking for repetition. Is there anything repeated? Is there anything said twice? Like the, the biblical authors tend to not um, stutter. So if they say something more than once, there's generally a reason why they say it more than once. And then just move on. Okay. Contrast. This but not this. Similarity. Like, just go through it and mine out those observations. And what I, what I want to encourage you to do this week is um, you've got your passage. Like I said, th- this is how I study it. It's just spaced out. Like, go through and mark it up. Like, mark it up like crazy. Like, take it out of the binder, fold it up, stick it in your pocket, take it with you wherever you want to go, and just continue to just kind of, like, chew on it. Honestly, a lot of times what I do is, is if I know I've got a text coming up, so, like, Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, I've just been reading that in my, in my morning kind of, like, the, like personal devotions, uh, just reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 for about a week now. And I'll just drink my coffee. I'm kind of halfway there, so I'm probably, like, halfway studying, right? But... Halfway there, just looking at it, reading it again, reading it again. And every day, there's a, another few marks in my Bible. Uh, another something that I didn't notice. Like, it wasn't until, uh, like, three days ago that I was even like, I should probably read the verses before it. I was like, oh, verse 19 is really important. Why? Well, okay, I can cross that question mark out. Like, what in the world is that? So take the time to go through it this week. Um, and then what we're going to do next week, uh, and you've got your reading in there, the first three weeks of reading are in your binder, and then the last three weeks are in the book. So, uh, yeah. And if you want, um, well, you've already got it. So if you want a PDF version of that, just let me know, because I've got the PDFs for all the reading that's in the binder. I don't for the book. Um, but I can get that to you. And next week we're going to look at uh, interpreting the text. Now what I would say uh, in interpreting the text, and that's why I printed off those kind of thicker packets. Sorry if you're, um, was it Thessalonians was pretty short. Was Colossians the monster? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, sorry about that. Um, honest, honestly, though, like, like those, those printouts from the big stack back there, uh, that wasn't even what I, everything I could have printed off. <laughs> like, I kind of filtered it for you a little bit because I didn't want to overwhelm you. But, um, but essentially what that is, is... Uh, each of those bigger stacks that you took, those are, those are selections from the introduction to the book um, from the New American Commentary, which is a good commentary. I use it, uh, not exclusively, but it's one of the commentaries that I consult as I'm studying. Uh, and understand the background of the book, the audience of the book, the location of the book, the date of writing of the book, like all of those details, like for the book of Colossians, the book of Galatians, the book of First Thessalonians, will be really key in understanding how do, how do we then go from our observations to interpreting the text and seeing, and seeing and hearing what's in the text with the eyes and the ears of the original audience. That's what we're trying to go for. Before we get to any sort of application, we have to go, how would the original audience have heard this? So we'll put ourselves in their shoes before we get back in our shoes and figure out, okay, how, how do we... And, 2019 walk in this truth today. So are there, we got six minutes. Are there any questions either um, about the format 
the class itself uh, or anything that was said kind of during this time. Yeah, I can do that. That's a good question. I will make a note of that, and you heard it too. So that's my wife, Sarah. So, yeah, I'll make a note of that. Yep. Yeah. No, that's that's a good. I will do that. Emily's got a question. There's no dumb question. This is so fast. My word. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know other stuff. Uh huh. Yep. I don't know. That's not even a question. No, it probably It's a really good question. It's a really good question. So, um, what what I generally do, and the reason why I gave you kind of like the the preliminary or the introductory uh, commentary to the book, is because. I'll consult that all the time at any point in the process. Because for me, that's really helpful to like, to even know how to make observations from their viewpoint, right? Now, what I won't do is I won't, I won't immediately go to a commentary uh, to kind of like explain the text. Like you get to that later on, you know? Um, not, quite, not way towards the end, uh, but not right at the beginning either. For me, I consult commentaries from an explanation standpoint, not from a historical standpoint. Uh, from an explanation standpoint, probably about, uh, I don't know, midway through-ish, because uh, that helps in the interpretation part, right? Like, if you leave commentary work way to the end, then you may not actually know if your interpretation is correct, which affects everything. You know, so I usually, I usually put it in the middle there. Um, uh, your question about cross-references is really good, because, uh, yeah, I... I'll consult, and they're usually noted in your Bible, like, okay, this is a quote from Psalm 95 or whatever. Like, that happens all the time in Hebrews. And that is really good and key to, like, note the cross-reference and go read the whole cross-reference, especially if it's a psalm, right? Because, like, like uh, Jewish references to the Old Testament, uh, they'll reference, like, one verse, but generally it's with an understanding that the, that the audience also understands the context of that verse, and so if like a psalm is quoted in Hebrews, I'll go read Psalm 95, 11, but I'll just read Psalm 95. Because it's like, well, when they heard Psalm 95, 11, they also understood how that fit in the psalm itself. You know, so, so yeah, cross-references are, are really great because it helps, it will eventually help with the interpretation aspect of it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, how, when you get on a Sunday morning, are you, is that like, I don't know, like, Mark's there, I do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He, here's what usually happens. Cause that. That's a legitimate fear. Um, the commentary work helps a lot. Now, the advantage for the Sunday morning is it goes through the elders. So, Mark and Shane and 
other really smart guys are there. Uh, and if I say anything dumb on Sunday, it's also their fault, you know. So I got that. <laughs> but uh, but that's, that's where the commentary, like, actually helps. Honestly, a lot of the times what happens is that when I, when I do the observation, like, I'm praying, I'm doing my observations, I'm trying to understand what this says, like, what does this mean, right? And then I'll go to the commentary, and it actually generally ends up being more encouraging because it's like, oh, okay. They're basically saying, no, in, with bigger words and with more explanation, essentially what I saw. Like, it's a lot of times like a confirmation, right? Of like, okay, I'm on the right track. That's mainly what I'm using commentaries for. Like, am I at least on the rails, you know? The commentaries will help me know, like, okay, I went off the rails, and I thought this thing was a bigger deal than it actually was, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So usually there's not that fear. There, there is at the beginning, though. Right? And that's a healthy one because it is like, I want to stand under the authority of this. Like you, you want to prayerfully have that fear. Like I, I hope that fear doesn't go away because if it does, like there might be something else going on there where I'm like, maybe I'm studying in my, in my own authority, I guess. You know, so yeah. That's a good, those weren't dumb questions. Come on, come on, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So there, there will kind of moving forward be, uh, be some kind of like segmented group time. Um, now, this is year two of doing this, and this is, this is a pretty dramatic reformat of what we did last year. Now, last year, there was a ton of group time um, that, in my estimation, ended up uh, being helpful in some ways and not helpful in other ways. I hope to retain the helpful aspect of it, uh, while not beating a dead horse, which I think is what ended up happening um, to a degree. So yeah, there will be group time to kind of discuss and to kind of bounce like, here's what I saw. Did you see that? Or, well, you saw that. I didn't see that. Like, maybe I should consider that. And, and then as we get into interpretation, stuff like that. So that's a good question. Yeah. All right. So I'll send this keynote to you. Uh, I'll probably just export it as a PDF so it's easier to read that way. If you have any questions like throughout the course of the class, um, you, I don't know that my email is posted anywhere, but my email, if you want to just write it down, if you ever just want to ask a not stupid but very legitimate question, um, you, can, you can email me at jakembi, like Moody Bible Institute. Really creative, I know. Uh, at Gmail, Jake MBI at Gmail, MBI, M as in mother, B as in boy, I as in Icarius. All right, thank you guys so much. Um, same time, same place next week.